0: Oh
1: Uh, seacoast community church it's uh glad to uh worship together with you even though we are separated by distance i'm glad that you can join us via online to worship the lord who is king of kings and who is worthy of all our praise and worship i want to just uh remind us of a couple of announcements and uh to begin with uh let me see so i wanted to just remind everybody that uh if you are having uh, some issues with the live stream, you wanna, uh, if you have a Facebook, you can actually. Uh, if you might have a better time seeing it on the Facebook page. So if you are on the website and there's some issues, some lagging, and, and some hiccups, uh, try the Facebook, and that actually might work much better for you. Also, I wanted to remind us uh, to continue to give tithes and offerings as long as, as, as you are able to. Uh, in fact, uh, if you wouldn't mind, you could take some time right now uh, and go to our website at uh, sccnh.com, our church website, and go to the top and click on Give, and that'll take you through just a few steps uh, to in order to uh, to to give uh, your 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 tithe or your offering. And uh, we'll put a, a video together soon on just how to do that, but you can take the time just to do that this uh, at, at this time. Also, when it comes to giving, I wanted to remind everyone that, uh, it, the, uh, that we are collecting the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, and this is, offer, this is money that's giving towards missions here uh, in the country, here in the United States. Uh, all the funds go to uh, missionaries, to church planters. So if you can, if you are, will, if you are able to, uh, you can go to the Annie Armstrong website and give there as well. And also, you can actually go to our website, and there is a designated uh, fund for any Armstrong. So you can just click on that, um, and then we'll know that, that this particular offering is for Annie Armstrong. Also, uh, we are planning on uh, streaming a, a Good Friday service, and also the Easter service uh, next Sunday. So I wanted to make sure that you are reminded of that. And then lastly, uh, the Secret Church uh, event. It is still happening. That is on April 24th. At 7 p.m., uh, we are still uh, uh, we still have books available. So, if you are interested, uh, please uh, contact me or contact uh, Reshma, and we can get you a, a book for you. Uh, each book is about uh, $11, and so and then pretty soon we'll have a, a live stream key so you can live stream uh, that 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 event. So, those are the announcements I have for us. Let's continue to worship the Lord. Um, but before we continue to uh, sing to the Lord. Let me just commit our time together just in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, though we are uh, isolated and quarantined to our homes, God, we thank you that you remain with each and every one of your saints through your abiding Holy Spirit. God, and even though we are joined together, Uh, Via online, God, we pray and ask that you would speak into our hearts that this would be a means of grace for the saints. Would you speak to us as we sing of your glory? Would you speak to us as we pray? Would you speak to us as we listen from your word? Lord, we want to hear from you today. So we ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: This is our call to worship this morning from Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and great is His unsearch- in his greatness as unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Let's sing to our glorious creator with all of creation.
0: of our God and King. Lift up your voice and with us sing
2: As we now turn to our time where we focus on the gospel, hear these words from Isaiah or from Psalm 145The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. they shall speak of your glory." Of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known deeds to the children of man, your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all of his works. In the passages spoke about God's kingdom. We are part of his kingdom through the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ. So let's sing praises to the King of Kings.
0: God of glory Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake you died. of all who come To the Father are restored And the Church of Christ was born And the Spirit lit the flame Now this gospel truth of old Shall not kneel, it shall not faint Now His blood and in His name In His freedom I am free For the love of Jesus Christ Who has resurrected me speed.
2: As we have sung of this truth, we move into a time of thanksgiving and praise to our God. Hear these words from verses 14 through 21. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears the cry, their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh Bless his holy name forever and ever.
0: Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow the Thank F-
1: It is so good to sing the praises of the lord if you would bow your head with me and, and pray and pray with me oh praise the father and praise the son and praise the holy spirit three and one Lord, you are the king of glory, filled with majesty. Colossians 1 tells us that whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Lord, you are the great ruler of all things. And every ruler on the earth will one day bow the knee to you. And in a time like this, when we might be tempted to question where is God, Psalm 115 reminds us that you, God, are on the throne. And you do as you please. And we are thankful because it is your good pleasure to, to love us and to hold us fast so that nothing can separate us from you, as Romans 8 tells us. Lord, who are we that the King of kings would fix his gaze upon us and to love us with an enduring love and be faithful to us. Lord, we look forward to eternity when we will sing your praises out of a grateful heart that wants to only thank you for how good you are to us. O precious King, we We pray for our church because you are the king. May we submit to you. May our lives reflect a a humble submission to you. And may we always have the posture of a servant as we seek not only to serve you, but also to serve one another. And may we do these things not out of duty, but out of love. As you have loved us to the point of dying for us on the cross, may we reflect back to you such deep love towards you, and, not, and, and also towards one another. Father, we pray also for those who are sick and experiencing physical or emotional turmoil and, and trials. Lord, help them to put their hope and trust in you, and not so much on the alleviation of these uh, or the passing of these trials. Lord, as they place their hope in you, would you, through your abiding Holy Spirit, grant them the strength to continue to persevere and to continue to endure. God, we pray that you would sustain them, that you would help them, that you would communicate your faithfulness to them, that you would communicate your deep and abiding love for them, that they may rest assured that no matter what they are going through, that your love for them still remains. And we pray that you would be so gracious as to to bring peace into their lives. God, and we also pray that you would protect our people from the coronavirus, especially those who are most vulnerable to it. Would you sustain them? Would you help them, Lord? Father, we pray for worldwide missionaries. We pray specifically for the funds that they need in order to continue in their ministry. God, and because of the difficult times that we are living in and the financial impact that that has on churches and, and individual giving, Lord, we realize that financial resources may become more of a burden now than it ever has been before. God, so we pray that you would graciously provide, that you would abundantly provide the resources and the funds that are necessary for our missionaries to continue to proclaim the gospel. We pray that you would provide for our missionaries by providing for your people so that your people may, be, may continue to be faithful to give. Lord, and we pray for, for all churches. We pray for all gospel-proclaiming churches. Lord, give your servants boldness to continue to preach the gospel, especially in times like these when hearts are becoming softened. God, give your church wisdom to know how to preach the gospel even as we remain in social isolation. Help us to know how to preach the gospel effectively. Help us to know how to point people to Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for the same boldness that you granted your apostles when they were in prison for for preaching the gospel. Lord, grant us that same boldness. God, we pray for our nation, and as our nation is under quarantine, and as people are isolated to their homes, as people work from homes, as, as children, as students are now studying via online instead of the classroom, Lord, would you pour out more of your common grace so that this time of quarantine and isolation may not be a time of greater a more grievous sin and destructive behaviors. Lord, would you protect people from adopting ad- addictive patterns and behaviors? Would you protect children from even hostile environments and abusive parents? Lord, would you help those who are struggling with depression that their depression would not become even worse? God, we pray, we plead for more of your grace. God, help us. Lord, we need you. We pray that you would give our nation and the world more of your grace. Father, we pray for those who are unemployed or those who will be or could be unemployed soon. Lord, we pray that that we as a church may may help and provide for those in our midst. May we be quick to help others in this way. God, and we pray that you would sustain them and help them. We pray for, uh, for creditors and, and mortgage lenders and banks, Lord, that they would be sympathetic towards the situation of those who have lost their jobs in this, in this crisis. Would you give them grace to even perhaps put those bills on pause Protect them from a debilitating hopelessness. God, and we pray for wisdom for our government and and knowing how to pour resources onto those who have lost their jobs and need to still provide for families. Lord, we submit these requests to you. You are not only the king of kings, you're not only the king of the universe but you are our king. The king that we have access to through the Holy Spirit. And so we come before you, not as a people who make demands, but as children, adopted children, with a posture of humility. Humility. Praying, pleading, and begging that you would please, that you would please see fit to answer our requests. And so we also conclude our time of prayer by praying the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We are reading from John chapter 3, sorry, John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us your enduring and abiding word. We thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would speak to us as we dive into your scriptures. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, bring a conviction upon our hearts? Would you remove the distractions that may be in our minds so that we may be attentive to what you desire us to know? So we pray that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. As you are aware, I'm sure, that next week is Easter, which makes this service. Palm Sunday, the Palm Sunday service. Normally, on a Palm Sunday, you would preach a Palm Sunday message. And to that, you would normally turn to the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, right? Because that's, a, that's when, historically, chronologically, that's when Jesus, that was a Sunday, right? When Jesus turned, went into Jerusalem, looking forward to the Passover feast, and more importantly, the day of His crucifixion. Now, if you've been following along in the Gospel of John through the sermons, and if you remember, we've actually covered the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ just a, a few weeks ago. So for the sake of, of not being redundant, decided to not go back to that passage for Palm Sunday. Instead, to continue through the flow of John chapter 13. However, I do think that this is a fitting passage for Palm Sunday, right? Because so if you know, right, Palm Sunday and Jesus entering into Jerusalem, right, people are worshiping him, praising him, and, and this comes on the heels of Jesus performing this incredible miracle, right, of, of, of raising a dead man back to life. And there were many witnesses who saw this miracle firsthand, and they went on to bear witness and tell people about it. And so now, comes come Sunday, people are, the pilgrims from all over are coming into Jerusalem to prepare themselves for the Passover, the most important celebration in Jewish culture and history. And they're now hearing about what Jesus had done. And so you can imagine that there must be a, a huge, a mass crowd lining the streets to worship Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem, mounted on a donkey, which was typical for a king of Jerusalem, which is intended to communicate that this king comes in the posture of a servant, as this king has come to serve his people. And so it's fitting that Jesus would come into Jerusalem in that same manner. So people are worshiping him, they're praising him as the king, as, as, as he deserves, because he is the king. And so then coming to John chapter 3, and, and reading about this, this incredible gesture that Jesus performed for his disciples, washing their feet, I think this passage highlights the dignity and the royalty, the, the kingliness of Jesus Christ, just in a different manner. Jesus is this paradoxical figure, Right, And it was, and I guess for Israelite kings, they were required to take this paradoxical nature or characteristic right, of being a king but also being a servant. But Jesus, even more so, in light of his person, in light of who he is, Jesus has come with the posture of a servant. And we see that so vividly here in the passage. We see him take this posture of humility, but we also see... That this is a king, which makes this gesture, this act, all the more striking, all the more shocking, and to the world, scandalous. So as we go through the passage, first we'll see the dignity of Christ, and then we'll conclude at the very end with an example of humility. the passage begins with the feast of the passover being very close so this what this is taking place is on the eve of the passover so jesus is only just moments from being arrested and tried and crucified so when jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had and then, sorry, and that he had come from God, it was going back to God, rose from supper. So here we already see we have a, a glimpse into the person of Jesus Christ, specifically his divinity. So, the passage tells us that Jesus knows three things. First, Jesus knows that the Father had given all things into his hand. Second, that he had come from God. And thirdly, he also knew that he was going back to God. So, first, Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. That means that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus has ultimate authority, that Jesus has the highest authority surpassing all the governing authorities in the world. No authority is greater than that of Jesus Christ, with the exception of God himself. And that this authority has been granted to him by God the Father. John seventeen two. Jesus says, speaking to God, since you have given him, Jesus, authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So Jesus has this authority that comes from God, not only that, not only an an authority, but also in a very unique way that nobody else has. He has the authority to give eternal life. Matthew 28, 18, right, the Great Commission, you are familiar with this passage. How does that begin? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And because that authority has been given to Jesus, then he commands His disciples and also his church to proclaim the gospel to the nations. That means that there is no, <laughs> that, there is, that we cannot just simply disobey or disregard that command because this comes with the authority of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with the thrones or dominions or as rules or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. There is no one greater than Jesus Christ. Jesus stands supreme over all things, and he also knows where he has come from. Right? He knows his divine origin. Now, why is that important? Now, notice is this: in, he's not. It's not telling us that this is that he's coming from heaven. This isn't just a messenger, this isn't just an angel, this isn't just a prophet. This is somebody who has the authority of God, given by God himself, and that he also comes from God, he proceeded from God. That is that he is one who had this eternal eternal home with God. So from eternity past, he has always dwelt with God. That's what is referring to as his divine origin. So that points to the divinity of Jesus Christ, the eternality of Jesus Christ. And Jesus knows this very, very well. Right? We cannot, regardless of where you're from, your, where you are from, where you grew up, your origin, to put it that way, has a direct bearing upon you. Right? Because of where you grew up and where you are originally from, well, you have had experiences, you have had memories, you've had things happen that have influenced you and have taken and have helped form you and shape the person that you are today, right? You can never forget where you came from. And similar with Jesus, Jesus could never forget where he's from. It's a reminder And it's important for him to to know that where he is from because earth was not his home. And although differently, right, for you and I, right, we 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 may never go back to where we originally came from, right? I may never go back to the Dominican Republic. You may never go back to where you originally came from. Or maybe at least you may not desire to. The Lord may have different plans. But... As God's creation, as people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, this world is not your home either. Your eternal abode, your eternal destiny is not here. It's with God. So in a a way, we're on a journey back to where we came from, and that is with God, who is our original creator. We're on this journey to go back to Eden. Eden. But there was peace and tranquility when man walked with God. and just as Jesus, right? Jesus was on his way back to his Eden in the presence of God the Father. And Jesus also knew that he was going back to God. He knew that his time on earth was limited. He was only going to be around for a moment. And so that being the case, there were certain things that he had to put in order, right? He had spent three years with these disciples and now he intends to leave them with this incredible example that can only be surpassed by the cross, an example of humility. And in this passage, not only do we know I know that Jesus knows certain things about himself that we also know as well, reading the passage. But in the passage, Jesus also shows an enduring love for his own. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, right? Speaking directly, it's, it's talking about the disciples, but the disciples are also a representative of his church, right? If we could, once we, as we continue through the rest of the gospel of John, as we as we listen in to these conversations that Jesus is having with his disciples, as he aims to teach them, right, these are lessons, these are commandments, these are truths that are only for his disciples, but that are also for his church. And it tells us that Jesus has this love, a love to the end, right? And that end doesn't mean a finality. That doesn't mean that there's an, there's a, there's an end to this love, that this love is going to come to a point, it's going to cease, like from going from one chapter to from the beginning of a book to the end, to the concluding chapter. But rather, this is intended to communicate that this, is, this love is going to come, is going to go through all the chapters of our lives to the final chapter, a final chapter that will never end, a final chapter that will take place into eternity. In Psalm 119.33, the psalmist, in a psalm that's right written about the Word of God, The psalmist writes, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Does the psalmist intend to keep the statutes of the Lord to a certain point and then stop? (laughs) No, I don't think that's what the psalmist is trying to say, but that he will continue to abide by the statutes of the Lord. Teach me, Lord, the way of your statutes, and I'll keep it, and I will keep keeping it. And further, in 112 of Psalm 119, the psalmist continues, and he writes, Incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. So forever and to the end, I kind of use synonymously. The psalmist writes, Incline my heart to perform your statutes forever and ever and ever and ever unto eternity. And that, I think, is the way that Jesus intends to communicate his love to his people. It's not that it's going to come to a point and it's going to cease, but this is a love that's going to go on forever and never and never. And this is an enduring love that it's never going to see that no matter the trials that you experience, that no matter the suffering that you are called to undertake, that no matter the things that happen into your life, that that love is going to continue to abide with you. It is a love that is never going to away. It is a strong love that is going to push through forever and ever and ever. Enduring and abiding love, a strong love. Right, that's the kind of love that the Lord has for you. And even as Jesus knows these things about himself, right, knowing that he's coming from God, that he's going back to God, that he has supremacy over all things, He sets aside his personal dignity. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. This is the creator of all things. This is the one who has this royal dignity, the one who has prestige because of the nature of who he is, being the son of God, the one who has authority over all things. Gets on his knees to wash the feet of his disciples. Philippians 2.5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What that means is that this is the the one who has the form of God. This is the one who is God himself. And rather than staying in his eternal home and the perfect fellowship of the Trinity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, having this incredible love communicated towards one another, instead he chose to come down to us, to take on our human flesh. What that passage does not mean it does not mean that Jesus became less than divine, but rather that he subtracted by adding to himself that while he was still divine, at the same time, he combined that divinity with a human form. And not only that, but taking the form, the posture of a servant and humbled himself to the point of even washing the feet of his disciples. Right, and even just moments ago, right, he was worshipped as he was entering into Jerusalem. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Right, he was receiving the celebration, the worship that is worthy of a king. There was no question that anybody who was a stranger had no idea what was going on and they saw that happening. They would have rightly assumed that this is an important individual. So at one moment, he's being worshiped and praised, and then in the, the next, he is getting on his knees to wash the feet of his disciples. That's amazing. It's incredible. So regardless of what the crowds saw in him, regardless of the reputation, regardless, he, he, he laid aside more than just his garments. He laid aside what people thought of him. He laid aside concerns about what people might think of him. He laid aside for that moment the worship that he just received only moments ago to take this posture of a servant and wash the feet of his disciples. We can be really concerned about how people perceive us. And to some degree, we we should care about how people perceive us, right? It's part of the reason why you get out of the house in clean clothes. But that concern about what other people think can be idolatrous. When you care a lot about your reputation, when that concern keeps you from taking the posture of a humble servant, when that concern keeps you from loving your neighbor as you should when that concern keeps you from submitting your life to the lord and doing as he calls you to do where we can become overly preoccupied with what people think about us to the point that we do not want to do anything that might stain our reputation and here's here's the example of jesus the king of kings showing no concern about that whatsoever, to wash the feet of his disciples. I mean, do you have that mind? Are you too overly concerned about what people think? Whether it's coworkers, whether it's friends, whether it's neighbors, maybe even family members. Take on the same heart, the same mentality of Jesus Christ was certainly greater than you and greater than I. The king of kings. And what's also striking is that, so D.A. Carson, a commentator, writes, with such power and status at his disposal, we might have expected him to defeat the devil in an immediate and flashy confrontation and to devastate Judas with an unstoppable blast of divine wrath, right? Because let's not forget that Jesus also washed the feet of his betrayer. And this is the king of kings who has authority, who has power, right? As we walk through the gospel of John, what has he done? How he, has he displayed his power? He turned water into wine. He told the lame man to get up and walk, and he walks. He was able to heal a sick child from a far distance, He granted sight to a man that was born blind. He raised a dead man back to life, right? This is a powerful man, more powerful than there ever has been, right? Nobody compares to Jesus Christ. And just think that he could have commanded a legion of angels to come and protect him and save him and spare him. And not even that, he didn't even require a legion of angels. All he had to do, which is maybe snap his fingers and all the the things would have been taken care of. With a blast of his nostrils, he could have taken care of Judas, and stop them from betraying him. But instead, he doesn't do any of that. Instead, he gets on his knees. With all the power and prestige and and his glory, he gets on his knees and washes the feet of his disciples. You would never expect that. You would never expect that. I mean, just think, if you had that kind of power, if you even just had a little bit of that power, if you had that kind of status, Would you do that? Would you get down and wash the feet of your neighbor? Would you get down and wash the feet of your coworkers or your employees? Would you get down on your knees to even wash the feet of your friends? Look to the example of Jesus Christ. setting aside that dignity to do this. And he did it because he loved his disciples. He loved them. Right? We can do some things that are demeaning. Right? As, a, as a parent, I can think of a, lot of a lot of things that can be considered demeaning, right? from changing diapers to getting on the floor and scrubbing and picking up food that my kids have picked up oh, have thrown on the floor, right? Or if you have an, uh, an aged parent who cannot take care of themselves, right? And you have to help them to get out of bed and help them to get on their clothes, help them to get into the bathroom, right? Those things might be considered as demeaning, but you will never consider it demeaning. And why is that? Because you love them. You love your child. You loved your aged parent that there is nothing that you could ever do that you would consider to be demeaning. And Jesus, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, getting down to wash the feet of the disciples, he didn't see that as demeaning because he loved his disciples. So we see the dignity of Christ on display. Here in this passage, even in the posture of a servant, in this, as he performs this, this humiliating deed, humiliating to the world. Back then in their culture, normally the ones who would do the the washing of feet would be Gentile slaves. Some occasions would also be the children, and some cases might even be the wife. But often, that task was considered to be a Gentile slave. An act of a Gentile slave. Something for Gentile slaves to do. And for many, it was considered demeaning. In my studies, I came across a story about a rabbi named Ishmael who comes home from the synagogue. And his mother proceeds to wash the feet of her son. And he takes his takes away her his feet, and he says no. He refuses because he saw that as a demeaning gesture, saying no, mom, you are big, you're you're greater than this. You know what happens? That his mother actually takes him to court. He brings it to the religious leaders. And why would she do this? Why would she do that? Right? If you're gonna take it to court, I mean, okay, mom, you can wash my feet as many times as you want, if you want, if you like. But here's a mother taking his son to court because he would not let her wash his feet. Why would she do that? Because she didn't see it as a demeaning act, but she saw it as a way to honor her son. So Jesus shows that this is, yes, this is a deed fitting for a servant, perhaps, but this is a way to honor the disciples whom he loves giving deference to them, building them up, holding them up. Jesus is identifying, He's taking identifying as a Gentile slave, taking the posture of a servant in order to honor his friends. Verse six, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Right, so even Peter, right, he sees that this is the demeaning act. Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And he takes them away, but Jesus corrects him. If I don't do this, you have no share with me. And I think what that means is that if Peter will not allow his feet to be washed by Jesus, then he will miss out on the point of this gesture. And if he misses out on the point of this gesture, then he will not take on that same posture for his friends. Then Peter changes his mind. Well, then Jesus washed my head and my hands. (laughs) But Jesus says, you've already been clean. You've already been washed with the exception of your feet. Similar to what Jesus says in John fifteen three, already you are clean because of the word that has spoken to you. Ephesians five twenty five similarly says, "Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word." What that means is this is a reference to the gospel. Right? There is no way that you and I could ever be cleaned of our sins other than through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this isn't just, this isn't just a, a, a water for purification, but the only way that we can have our guilty stains removed is by the blood of Jesus Christ. I think of a hymn that goes, and I'm sure many of familiar, you are familiar with it. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's what it takes to be plunged into the blood of Jesus Christ in order to be cleansed of our guilty stains, the sins that offend our creator, the sins that make us guilty before God, the sins that require us to be on the cross crucified as Jesus was. And if, you, if, if there's anyone who is tuning in and has yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have yet to repent of their sins, I want you to know that there's nothing that you can do to remove those stains. You can't, no amount of exercise, no amount of bathing, no amount, no, no matter the diet, no matter the amount of good works, nothing can take away those guilty stains. The only way to have them removed by being bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ, by believing in Him, trusting in Him, and repenting of your sins. So pursue that cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus also makes the case that those who have been washed by His blood, and He considers it as good as done, even though they have yet to truly believe or have believed as as they should in him because they still don't understand what he's about to do. Nevertheless, he considers their salvation to be good as done because he has chosen them. But there's still this washing of the feet that's required. I think what that means is that there's this continual requirement for confession of sins. Right? So even though you and I have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been, we've been cleansed, we've been washed, we've been purified, we have been sanctified, we can still dirty up ourselves through sin, right? because as long as we live in this world, we will continue to be tempted by sin, and we will continue to sin at times. And then First John tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can still dirty up ourselves, but if we continue to come before the Lord in a posture of humility, asking for His forgiveness, He forgives us, and he cleanses us. But not all are clean. Pointing to Judas, and we'll get to him very soon. So then, Jesus sets aside his dignity, now I would even argue he still keeps his dignity intact because he is the son of God. But nevertheless, he gets down and washes the feet of his disciples. And in, this, and in this gesture, he leaves his church an example of Christian conduct. Where he calls his people to do likewise. If he then, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now, what I don't think that means is that this is a commandment. I don't think the Lord is commanding his people to wash each other's feet. This isn't a sacrament of the church. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's uh, even a requirement, though I don't think that the scriptures forbid it. But I think the point that Jesus is trying to get at is that he wants his disciples, he wants his church to follow or to emulate his example, and that is in their heart. Right, because you can certainly wash someone's feet. But if your heart's not in the right place, then it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't please the Lord. Right, and you can certainly wash somebody's feet because you care a lot about your reputation. Maybe you want to be seen as that person. Maybe you want to be seen as the kind of person who is kind and loving towards one another. And so you will do something like this to gain people's attention. And if that's the case, right, that's not what Jesus is getting at. Jesus cares more about the heart, and this is the point of the passage, that Jesus wants his church, he wants his disciples, he wants his children to take the posture of a a servant. That is what he's commanding us to emulate, to imitate. And even to the point of, of taking that posture, before our enemies. Judas, among the 12, the betrayer of Jesus Christ, has his feet washed by Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And it was such a heinous act of betrayal. I mean, even before, so before I, I, get, I get to just the, just, the, the, just the gravity of what he's done, Right, this kind of refers back to what we talked about last week and unbelief, right? Who hardens the heart of a person? Does the person harden his own heart, or does God harden the, person, the person's heart? Right, and it's both. Right, there are no innocent parties, right? People harden their own hearts and so that God gives them up to greater sins and hardens their heart. But then Judas provides that excellent example or an illustration of what this means. Right, because it says that, that the devil, in the beginning of the passage, that the devil entered into Judas to betray Jesus. And so was it the devil's fault? No, it was Judas' fault. In John chapter 12, in reading about the passage of Mary's excellent example of devotion to Jesus, Judas responds by saying, why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And the author tells us he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it. Right, so this person didn't care about the poor. What he wanted was more money in the money bag to help himself to. So what it tells us is that this man, that Judas hardened his own heart. That he is the one who actually opened himself up to be used by the devil. Right, and that's a scary thought. Right? when you, If you harden, if unbelievers harden their hearts, it actually opens them up to be used by the devil to be under the influence of the devil. So Judas was betraying Jesus, not because he was forced to, but he did it out of his own will, of his own volition. He decided to betray Jesus. And this was such a heinous act of betrayal in those times, right, in culture, kind of a cultural background, to be... To be betrayed by a friend was considered more heinous than receiving an insult from an enemy. In fact, such a betrayal by a friend was, under, was believed to incur the divine wrath of God. And what's more is, to, is to, have, to recline at table with somebody, to enjoy a meal with them, which is what Jesus was doing here in the passage. It communicates a kinship. It, it communicates a kindness towards one another. Especially when it's a stranger, right? When it's a stranger, you are actually assuming a level of trust with them. But then here's Judas, following Jesus for three years, having this covenant relationship with Jesus. And he goes on to betray him. And it's astounding that Jesus would even wash his feet. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus was loving his enemy. Do you love your enemies? Do you love those who would hate you? Do you pray for those who would persecute you? That takes an incredible amount of humility that only comes through the fruit of the Spirit of God. And then, ultimately, what the Lord wants for us to have, what He wants for His church to have, is a servant's heart. He wants His church to be a people who serve. Right, in the kingdom of God, in the gospel, right there is the, the gospel is the great equalizer amongst men. In the kingdom of God, there is nobody greater than another person, no matter how much money you have, no matter what your status is, no matter your reputation, no matter where you are in your secular work, in your position, in your status. All those things doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, then you must be the least of all. And so then, in the kingdom of God, there is nobody, there isn't this, there this, this shouldn't be this mentality or this hierarchy of somebody being better than another, right? Just because I'm an elder or a pastor doesn't mean I'm better than you. We're all called to be servants. We're all called to take this posture of humility, to serve one another, Philippians chapter 2, we read this passage earlier, but beginning earlier in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? So do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so we are to adopt this mind, which is ours in Christ Jesus, this mind that knows the Savior and looks to the example of the Savior who died on the cross and looking to his example of humility Matthew 11:29 Jesus says take my yoke upon you take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart to learn from the master of humility learn from him learn his lowliness in heart so that you may imitate that as well and so I What this passage shows, I think, is that humility is one of the defining marks of a Christian. A Christian is a, one, is a person who serves, right? We are called to serve one another, and in this way, we honor one another. We build each other up, and so even in this time when we are called, when we are socially isolated from one another, when we are under quarantine, right, this serving one another this isn't, an accept- this isn't a time of exception right, where you have an excuse to not serve and be humble. Instead, you and I should be looking for ways in our current situation, in our current context, to serve one another and build up the body. That's what we're called to do. And so, when we're thinking about our reputation and how people perceive us in the world— How do you want to be known? How do you want people to perceive you, to think about you? And Jesus is telling us that you should take the posture of a servant. Do you want people to see you that way? Do you want people to identify you as one who serves other people, who looks out to the interests of others, even disregarding his own? Is that the kind of posture that you want, that you desire? And Jesus is telling us that it should be. This is what he calls us to. This is what he saves us for so that we may be humble people who serve not only the Lord, but serve one another. And in our service to one another, we are also serving the Lord at the same time. My prayer and hope is that we, together, as a church, would take on this posture of humility. That we would identify ourselves, not as somebody's prestigious, not as leaders, not as somebody who is, who is looked at by the world as somebody, as somebody, but that we would be eager to be identified and to be known as servants. That... It's actually a position of honor. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the incredible example that you have set out for us, this example of humility that brought you to the point of washing the feet of your disciples and even further to the point of death, even death on the cross. Lord, so help us to take on that posture Help us, Lord. May we be a people who desire to be identified in that way. And that we would see it as something honorable. To not look at it through the lens of the world that might see it as something demeaning or degrading. But having this posture is something that pleases you. And we are not after the pleasures of the world. We're not after man's praise. We are after the smile of God. May we pursue that. And may we do that by humbly submitting to one another and serving one another. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Stand and worship together. my
0: heart. Heal my heart and make it clean.
2: This word of benediction from Philippians 2 this comes on the tail end of the passage that Pastor Demi mentioned in his sermon this morning therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You all, God bless you all.